News from the Krabby Coffee Shop is brought to us by Your Name Here. More on that later. Welcome to News from the Krabby Coffee Shop with your host, Don McLean, from Jason and Alexis in the Morning on My Talk 1071, Garage Logics newsman, Mr. FYI, John Height, and the crabbiest guy in the coffee shop, Kenny Olson. Uh, Dawn isn't with us today um, because, what? yeah, she's uh, filling in for Donna Valentine on my talk. And let's just be honest, John, both you and I wanted to call in sick since Dawn isn't here. Yeah, Dawn carries the show. We got no business doing this. Especially with uh, today's topic, which is it's just so far out of my league, um, so above my pay grade. Uh, and it just, I know I'm a dummy. But, boy, topics like this really, really bring it to light. Uh, and, and the reason we, we delved into this, we're going to talk about Oumuamua, um, and you'll find out what that is here in a few minutes. But it's because of the Fermi paradox. Remember that, John? I do, yes. Uh, yeah. The Fermi paradox basically um, is a guy in the 50s sitting around at lunch with his brilliant buddies, uh, he was a Nobel Prize winning, uh, Nobel, excuse me. See, that's <laughs> how dumb I am, Nobel. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Former President. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he was he was a, f- a physicist, um, and he uh, won a Nobel Prize. <laughs> and he basically said, um, if there's extraterrestrial intelligence, uh, intelligent, why haven't they visited us? Um, that any civil, he said that any civilization with a modest amount of rocket technology and an immodest amount of imperial incentive could rapidly colonize the entire galaxy. He could, so he basically said, where, where are they? Yeah. Why haven't they shown up? Right. And we delved into this one day. I don't know if it was accidentally or on purpose on GL and we had a great discussion on it and found it very, very fascinating um and we had a lot of different theories but again they were all theories from you know civilians dumb guys people us radio <laughs> us, people yeah. a traffic reporter <laughs> and i theorized that maybe they are there but they just don't care about us because we're pretty stupid we're, yeah. You know, in their minds, we're still undeveloped. I likened Earth to an anthill on the side of the uh, yard that uh, you just kind of leave it alone because they're not doing any harm. And then if it gets big and they start creeping towards your house, then you park your lawnmower on it for about 60 seconds and you get rid of them. <laughs> um, and we, we left it at that. And then earlier this week, I discovered something. And where did I discover it? I don't know, trending on Twitter or somewhere about an object that whizzed by or came through our solar system called Oumuamua and uh, discovered a um, um, a, a doctor from Harvard, a professor, uh, Dr. Avi Loeb, and he has theorized and wrote a book um, basically theorizing that this thing, whatever it was, it's not a comet and it's not an asteroid, might have been an example of intelligent life forms from outside of our galaxy. Uh, And I don't know, listeners may remember this. It it, it was discovered in 2017. A bizarre, blunt-shaped object came whizzing by uh, in our space. It measured approximately a half a mile in length. Uh, was moving at a really strange pace. 
and all the alien watchers, the people in the observatories, saw this, and they really got excited. Um, and, and they named it Oumuamua and called it a natural phenomenon. But the head of Harvard's astronomy department, now he just published a book, and he believes that the giant object was alien in origin. And, of course, I read that, and it's like, okay, this could prove Fermi wrong. Uh, let's talk about this. Yeah. So, um, Ross, uh, we had Ross get a hold of the doctor, and I believe, Ross, you have uh, Dr. Loeb on the phone? Yes, we do. Dr. Loeb, um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and, and the show is called <laughs> uh, News from the Krabby Coffee Shop, and we're pedestrians, um, we're civilians, and we're not very smart. So uh, <laughs> I really appreciate you joining us, sir. Well, uh, thanks for having me. And uh, I don't know if uh, the producer told you, but I'm basically a farm boy. Not, all my titles are not really <laughs> okay, good. Uh, significant. Yeah. Good, good, because so, I, I, I might end up making some farm boy type references here. Um, uh, but I, I've been studying you and uh, Amuamua, and it's just fascinating. Could you take us back to the fall of 20? Oh, and I shouldn't uh, also tell you, Doctor, I'm Kenny. Um, my co host today is John Hyde, and he's joining Hi, us. Hi, Doctor. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, Doc, uh, take us back to 2017, and can you describe what astronomers saw um, in Maui? Yes, um, um, it was uh, on Mount uh, Haleakala. There is a telescope that surveys the sky, and um, it, it uh, was constructed about a decade ago, and, um, and then it uh, discovered unexpectedly an object that uh, moved too fast to be bound to the sun. So it looked as if it came from outside the solar system. This was the first object identified as coming from outside the solar system in the vicinity of the Earth, and we saw the reflection of sunlight from it. Um, it was given the name Oumuamua because it meant um, a scout in the Hawaiian language. So um, at first, astronomers thought it must be a comet. Uh, a comet is a, a, a rock covered with ice. So when it gets close to the sun, the sun, the ice uh, warms up and you end up with uh, evaporation and uh, gas and, and dust uh, surround the object. But this object didn't show any cometary tail around it. It was definitely not a comet of the type we had seen before. And as it was um, tumbling every eight hours, the amount of sunlight reflected from it changed by a factor of 10. And this implied oh. that it, it has a very extreme shape, most likely flat. Uh, based on the analysis of the variation of light. And then the most uh, strange thing about it is it was pushed away from the sun by some mysterious force, which couldn't be the rocket effect from evaporation of gases because we haven't seen any. Uh, and the only explanation I could think of is the reflection of sunlight is pushing it. And actually in September 2020, there was another object they discovered that was pushed away from the sun by reflecting sunlight and they also had no cometary tail. Uh, it turned out to be uh, a rocket booster from a 1966 launch by NASA to the moon. Uh, so that's an object that we produced. It had the thin walls, and as a result, it, uh, it had a large area for its mass, so the sunlight bouncing off it pushed it. Uh, but uh, it's clear that that object, the second one, uh, was artificial. It was produced by us. Right. The question is, uh, who produced the Muamua? Hmm. Right, and where did it come from? 
Right. Where we do don't you know. uh, do you think it came from outside of our solar system? Oh yeah, that that we know for sure based on the way it moves. Uh, it, you know, if you throw um, a tennis ball up in the air, it comes back because you don't throw it fast enough. Uh, that's what NASA does when it launches rockets. Um, right. It, uh, you know the, So the the point is, if an object moves fast enough, it cannot be bound by gravity. You, uh, the, uh, oh. the sun's gravity cannot keep it. So when we send out spacecraft moving fast enough, like uh, Voyager or New Horizon, they will exit eventually the solar system. And that's because they move fast enough to escape. And uh, this object was moving uh, too fast to be bound to the sun. It, it uh, definitely came from outside based on that. So that we know for sure. The question of what it was made of and what its intent was and whether it was natural or artificial, you know, we don't know for sure because it just passed near us for a few months and astronomers were not particularly uh, sufficiently, I should say, were not sufficiently curious about it. Uh, but now I'm sure that the, we, you know, when the next Oumuamua comes along, we will uh, stare at it much more carefully. And we're pretty sure that it is headed back out of our solar system, correct? And should be gone in, in a matter of a few years? Um, well, it takes it uh, tens of thousands of years to cross the entire solar system because the oh. solar system is, is huge. Oh. The solar system extends halfway to the nearest star. There is a cloud of that is called the Oort cloud of basically pieces of rock that are f- floating out there. They, they were leftover uh, Lego pieces from the construction of the planets uh, in the solar system. So there is a huge uh, region that goes out to 100,000 times the Earth-Sun separation that is still part of the solar system. So to cross all of that will take tens of thousands of years for this object. So um, then you ask yourself, how, how many more are inside the solar system right now? Yeah. And uh, to find out, we need to, to look. And uh, gladly, in a year, there will be a telescope uh, operating that is much more sensitive than uh, Pan stars, the telescope that discovered the uh, Oumuamua, and uh, it's called the Vera Rubin Observatory in Chile, mm-hmm. and uh, it could discover the next Oumuamua, many more. And um, I uh, established about half a year ago a project, and one of the important tasks of the project uh, would be to design a space mission that will bring a camera very close to the next Oumuamua, so that we can get a high-resolution image of it. Oh. You know, because they say a picture is worth a 1,000 words. Uh, in my case, it's worth 66,000 words, the number of words <laughs> in my book. Uh, <laughs> I, I would never, you know, if I had a picture, I would never need to write a book. It would save me a lot of time. By the way, uh, the book, I should have mentioned this earlier, uh, the book is its available everywhere. I ordered it uh, yesterday from Amazon. It's called Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. John, did you have a question? I, I do have a couple questions, Doctor. Uh, the first one, because I know originally a lot of scientists thought this was a comet or whatever. What happens... Uh, with comets, I know they reoccur, the comets that we see, Halley's Comet, etc. Do they uh, make some sort of route around the solar system and come back? Uh, that's my first question. And then my second question is, 
Uh, as far as Oumuamua goes, uh, are, do we still have any idea where that's at, or do we just have any, can we see it in any way, or is it too far gone to to see anymore? Yeah, yeah so um, comets um, that we often see coming back, like Halley's Comet, you know, they are bound to the sun, so they just move around it. And, uh, you know, the Earth goes around the sun every year. Um, that's mm-hmm. why we have the seasons. Uh, and uh, so objects that are bound to the sun come back. Uh, it's just like the example of, uh, you know, the tennis ball that you throw up, it comes back because mm-hmm. it's, bu- it's bound to the Earth gravitationally. And so um, all these objects that are part of the solar system are bound to the sun, so they can come back again and again. And, mm-hmm. and the, the rate by which they come back um, depends on uh, how far they are. The closer they are to the sun, the, the more quickly they finish uh, a whole uh, orbit around it. Okay. Um, so, for example, just to give an example, the Earth moves around the sun in one year, but Mars takes much longer and because it's farther out. And so, um, so anyway, um, and Halley's Comet takes uh, uh, even longer. So um, it all depends on how far an object is. Now, with Oumuamua, uh, the thing is, even when it passed near the Earth, it moved faster than all the chemical rockets that uh, we can produce mm-hmm. right now. And um, so we couldn't really chase it, even if we wanted. But uh, moreover, by now, it's millions of times fainter than it was close to us. So uh, an object that goes far from the sun, you know, the sun is just like a lamppost. It mm-hmm. illuminates uh, uh, around it, and you need, you know, the only way to find keys is under the lamppost. Uh, yeah. So once it goes very far, you can't find, we cannot really, even if we had the propulsion to chase it, we wouldn't be able to find, find it because it's so faint. Hmm. Um, so there's a bunch of different theories, your fellow scientists um, have talked about a bunch of different theories, a uh, hydrogen iceberg, which I don't know what that is, and uh, cosmic dust bunnies, which doesn't make sense to me. Uh, well, first of all, can you explain what a hydrogen iceberg is, Doctor? Yeah, it's, so the idea is we didn't see a cometary tail. We didn't see evaporation of this object the way we see with comets. And right. Usually you see... Um, water vapor, or you see dust coming off them, but there wasn't anything like it. So the idea was to say, okay, well, there is evaporation of this object. That's what gives it push away from the sun. It's not the reflection of sunlight. It's actually evaporation, just like in a, an ordinary comet. You know, it's the rocket effect that is pushing it. The fact that it evaporates is pushing it in, in the opposite direction. Um, so... Uh, they say, uh, yeah, but we can't see the vapor. We can't see the thing that evaporates. And right. hydrogen is transparent. So if you make a chunk of frozen hydrogen, a hydrogen iceberg, if you imagine that and it's passing close to the sun, it will evaporate and you won't, you won't see the, the gas coming off it. You would think that it's not a comet, but it's actually a comet just made of pure hydrogen. Now, we've never seen anything like it. We've never seen a chunk of frozen hydrogen. Right. You make it... You, you need um, a very special nursery that would make such things, like um, molecular clouds. We don't know if they make uh, chunks of frozen hydrogen the, the size of a football field. In this case, it needs to be quite big. Right. Um, and, and also, uh, I wrote a scientific paper with, with a colleague of mine showing that such an iceberg would evaporate very quickly. It wouldn't survive the journey 
through interstellar space because it absorbs uh, starlight. So there is this problem that it, it evaporates too easily. So then another team said, well, maybe it's not a hydrogen iceberg, it's a nitrogen iceberg. And there the problem is there is not enough nitro- solid nitrogen to account for enough chips like that uh, in the Milky Way galaxy. And then there was a suggestion, maybe it's a dust bunny, um, uh, a, a collection of dust particles that are very loosely bound, just like, um, I mean, a hundred times less dense than air, just like a cloud. Right. And the problem with that is that when it gets close to the sun, it will get heated by hundreds of degrees, and this cloud would not maintain its integrity. It will break apart. And so anyway, there were all these uh, uh, suggestions by the mainstream of astronomy trying to explain it as a natural object. And uh, I said, you know, all of them have challenges, all of these explanations, and, and they are talking about something we've never seen before. So we have to consider the possibility that it's also a technological object. Right. Um, and, and uh, you know, because it's otherwise we resemble a caveman, a cave dweller that finds a cell phone and looks at the cell phone and says, well, it's, it's a rock. It's yeah. like a rock of a <laughs> yeah. that I've never seen before. Exactly. <laughs> oh, and, and I found it in my research very frustrating that so many scientists are trying to not call this artificial life. And to me, your theory, you know, being a pedestrian, and um, it makes the most sense to me because you have basically negated uh, the Fermi paradox. Uh, and, and that's what is so interesting to me. And people seem to have this notion that aliens or alien life forms are intelligent. Uh, they all have legs and arms and heads and eyeballs, and they kind of look like us, but not, they're, they're not. Uh, and no, not. what I love about yours is that whatever this artificial life could be doesn't have to have a human form. That's right. Um, in fact, um, you know, humans uh, were um, selected by evolution to survive on the surface of Earth. We are not equipped to survive for a long time in space, uh, despite what uh, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk are saying, you know, that they would bring a lot of people to Mars and, or, or uh, the moon and so forth. You know, it's re- very risky, very dangerous uh, out there. We feel very comfortable here on Earth. Uh, it makes much more sense to send equipment to space. And, uh, yeah. you know, we have uh, artificial intelligence driving cars now. And right. uh, I can imagine that in the future we'll send AI astronauts, astronauts that are autonomous, you know, they can think for themselves, but made of uh, gadgets. You know, they, right. they would right. be... Um, uh, so they would be able to learn from experience the way AI systems do, machine learning, and uh, operate in space. And if we can imagine doing that in the coming decades, someone else might, might have done it before us because, you know, we, we know that most of the stars form billions of years before the sun, and, and um, a large fraction of them are just like the sun. They have a, an Earth-like planet next to them, and you could have had the things like us a billion years ago. And so why should we assume that we are really, you know, the 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 only the smartest kid on the block, the, the only right. intelligent species that ever exists? I think that, you know, Albert Einstein was not the smartest scientist that ever lived since the Big Bang. There was another scientist on another planet that lived a billion years ago, yes. and the civilization <laughs> yes. that benefited from it could have sent a lot of probes to space that would have reached us by now. 
Uh, Doctor, do you think it is just that uh, the mainstream science uh, folks, is it that arrogance of intelligence, do you think, that makes them, you know, poo-poo everything that uh, might come out that they don't agree with? What, why do you think they fight back to that, at that sort of thing? Well, there are two, two reasons for that. One, the public is extremely interested. And many people in academia, they prefer to distance themselves from the public. They prefer to work on, on something that the public doesn't quite understand. You know, like how many angels can sit on the tip of a pin? Okay? Right. <laughs> if you can do very fancy <laughs> mathematics that uh, shows that you are smart and doesn't necessarily, is not clear uh, to the public, then, you know, that puts you on a pedestal in a way because you are able to do something that other people are not able to understand. And so that's one aspect. The second is uh, the, the fact that, you know, experts, people that worked for decades on studying rocks, for example, in the sky, uh, asteroids and comets, they want to explain anything that comes along based on their knowledge. And if they were to admit that there is something they missed, something that is completely outside of the territory of their expertise, then, you know, it would show some weakness. And so they resist that, and they say, we should not even discuss anything that we don't know about. Everything is natural. Everything is a rock, uh, even if it's of a type that we've never seen before. It must be natural. Right. And, you know, this way they, they maintain their expertise. And there is always this argument, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Well, my point is, and by the way, this was said by Carl Sagan, but I think it's wrong because extraordinary evidence requires extraordinary funding. You need to, to be engaged in the search. Right. You know, you need to look for things. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you would never find them. I can't tell you how many times somebody has said to me, uh, what kind of rock is that? And my answer is always the same. What, what are you talking about? It's a rock. A rock is a rock. One reason I, I search for intelligence in space is because I don't often find it here on Earth. <laughs> well, you you won't find it on this program, but Doctor, uh, I, they, this might be the smartest discussion I've ever had in my life, and I'm so honored uh, that you joined us today. Again, um, the book is called Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth uh, by Dr. Avi Loeb, and I, I'm so grateful that you joined us here today, and I'm really looking forward to getting and reading your book, sir. Thank you so much. It was a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank, thank, thank you, you, Doctor. All right, we're going to take a short little break on news from the Krabby Coffee Shop. We will be right back. So you may have noticed we've been running sponsor-free here for a month or so, uh, and I wanted to um, address that. And at the beginning of the podcast, I said your name here. Um, we'd like to invite you, if you're interested, to uh, advertise on news from the Krabby Coffee Shop and tell you... Uh, we're a hell of a lot cheaper than GL. I mean, come on, we are, we're, we're the bargain bin of podcasts if you want to get in and advertise with us. But, uh, Ross, um, throw some numbers at me. Tell me, uh, and, and I truly don't know this because, um, I, I, stuff, inf information like this makes me nervous and upset. But truthfully, how many downloads do you think we get in a month? Kenny, monthly news from the Krabby Coffee Shop is reaching fifty to 60,000 people monthly. That does not include the people that we are reaching on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, which regularly once a week is averaging right about 20,000 impressions when we 
Post about news from the Krabby Coffee Shop. Layman's terms, an impression equals a person. So that's an additional 20,000 people right there. Well, that makes me nervous. Um, and uh, w- when I said we're uh, a hell of a lot cheaper uh, than GL, it, I, I don't know if that's true or not. Are we? I- I'm assuming we are. Well, this is why we have very capable people that you can reach out to at garagelogic.com. There literally is a package for everybody, though. Cool. So if you're interested in advertising on news from the Krabby Coffee Shop or you would like um, John or Dawn or myself um, to talk about your company, uh, I think, speaking for Dawn, I can think I can say we're available. Right, Ross? GarageLogic.com or just click on Contact the Show. It's probably the easiest way right there. Thank you. Well, Ross, you're right about one thing. This is crummy music. Thank that you. Was, that was awful. This is the uh, your that crummy is music. Not, that is not my kids' music. No. Let's make <laughs> let's establish that right now. That is not Dylanite. Who's playing tonight? Crucial Taunt and the S Beatles. Oh, they any good? No, man, they suck. Uh, in, in honor of you, Ross, yesterday, um, and I hope if you send a copy of this to the doctor, I hope he's turned it off by now. Um, <laughs> in honor of you last night, uh, Ross, I, I had to come down off of this. I did so much research for this. I mean, I studied for four hours. I've got a hundred pages of notes in front of me. Uh, in order to come down, I watched clips of um, um, par- uh, Trailer Park Boys for about an hour on YouTube. I just vegged out with the Trailer Park what, Boys. What were the highlights? Can you tell me a few that popped uh, up? Ricky falling down, Ricky throwing things, and Rickyisms. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, so fun. Um, John, how do you think we did? I think we did pretty good for a couple of you know doofuses. Do you think Don? Do you think she'll be proud of us or ashamed? I think she'll be somewhat proud of us. But did you find yourself in the middle scratching your head, going, "Oh God, I wonder what that means." There's one thing I wanted to get in. Where's my notebook? Um, and the doctor talked about us, you know, launching a spacecraft. That's in. Yeah. At first, you'd think, oh, that's not going to work out. But do you know that we already have a spacecraft up? It's called the Rosetta, and it came really, really close to a comet and circled it, and we got really close-up good photos of it. Really? Yeah. I did not yeah. know that. It's really cool. You can just Google it, uh, Google Rosetta spacecraft, and you'll see these awesome shots. It was programmed to actually circle yeah. and take pictures. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's not so far-fetched. I just don't know that we'll be around when it finally catches up. I mean, we're talking, when you start talking about light years, Kenny's eyes glaze over and (laughs) and roll back in his head. (laughs) Um, But we've now mentioned a couple of times the uh, Fermi paradox, which is absolutely fascinating, which basically says if there's life out there, how come they haven't visited us? And... I, I think the good doctor, uh, Avi Loeb, kind of gave a good explanation that maybe mm-hmm. they have and maybe they continue to be, but maybe we're still so stupid that they don't care about us. <laughs> and um, from what I understand, our solar system is, is, is as far as solar systems go, um, we're still pretty young. Yeah. And, um, and it's huge. Weren't you amazed when he said it would take that... Uh, the thing that came by in 2017, tens of thousands of years to get out yeah. of our 
solar yeah. system. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you can't grasp that, really. And there's so many theories that we didn't get into um, about where it came from. Like, maybe it's a chunk that broke off um, a developing planet, you know, far in the outer reaches of our solar system. Um, but it's it's a real interesting diversion from what's going on in real life. But this Fermi paradox <laughs> thing reminds me, uh, we actually had um, a UFO, what people believe is a UFO encounter in our state here in, I believe it was 79, uh, right? Late, late yep, 70s? Correct. Yep, 1979. Val Johnson, was he a police officer or a sheriff's a, deputy? A Marshall County deputy. Okay. And that's up north, I believe. Yeah, like, it's uh, I believe close to Grand Forks, right? Is it across yeah, the border, kind yeah. of from Grand Forks? Warren, Minnesota, up there. Yeah, yep, um, exactly. Flat exactly. open prairie, if I remember right. It's been a while since I've been up there. Mm-hmm. But a middle of the night encounter. Can you tell us? Sure. Uh, he was on patrol in his car uh, late at night in his squad. He was on County Highway Five, which is about ten miles west of Stephen. Uh, at about 1.40 a.m., he saw a light up in the sky. He turned on to Highway 220. He thought it would uh, it was a plane maybe making an emergency landing. Maybe a semi was on fire. He wasn't sure. Uh, he continued to drive, and uh, he said the light abruptly entered the car itself. Just kind of went whoosh right there. And he said he heard the sound of glass breaking and lost consciousness. By the time he woke up, 39 minutes had passed. He had uh, eye pain, a bump on his head. The car had a shattered windshield. Both antennas were bent backwards, broken headlights, broken hazard lights. His wristwatch and the car's clock had lost 14 minutes. Uh, so he was a little confused. <laughs> and he, uh, he radioed in saying, something attacked my car. It wasn't a vehicle. I don't know what the hell it was. And we could actually see that vehicle. I believe it's in yep. a museum up there, correct? It's it's on display. I'm not sure where. I did read that uh, they have it somewhere you can go view the vehicle itself. Yes. Welder-type burns uh, in his eyes. Yeah. Um, if you've ever been around welding, you know you're always told, don't look at this. And then because you're a kid and you're dumb, uh, you look at it anyway. <laughs> and let me tell you something. You look at it for one second, and it hurts like hell. Yep. Yeah, well, and they also said uh, the Air Force and everybody said, well, there's no any kind of aircraft in the area. You know, hopefully they were telling the truth. Who knows at that point in the late 70s. Uh, but they said no aircraft were in the area. It wasn't anything they had done. Uh, so, uh, And it went confused. right through the squad. Yep, that's what he said. The light went right through, basically. And I think a reason to believe this guy is because he's never claimed that it was aliens. He just yeah. says, I don't know. And he also is not, he's not, a lot of the UFO people you can tell just like being on TV, he's not that way at all. He says it's almost been a burden to his family. When reporters seek him out sometimes, he'll just say, you know, no, go away, please, I don't want to talk about this. And so he's not looking for attention right. at all. Right, right. No. Uh, it's my people, the, the same kind of people when they when they buy, a, like, say, a brand-new truck that you know is worth $60,000, they'll say something like, oh, I robbed the guy, I got a good deal. He, they didn't know what they were doing when they <laughs> sold it. You know, the, the real humble-type, uh, you know, Scandinavian-type people that you find out in the country. Uh, yeah. But to me, it's just a, a fascinating story because of that fact. Because I know a guy... <sighs> 
And uh, I'm not going to tell you his name, but he's a semi-famous musician. In uh, okay, or has he actually come out and said so in the paper, John? Did you? Read I, be- some- I believe I have read that. Yes, uh, not in any great depth. I think it, it's just mentioned in a story about him. So should I use Kurt's name or not? <laughs> well, you might as well now. <laughs> okay, there's a guy named Kurt, and, and he plays the guitar, and uh, he's, he, might he's li- he likes John Lennon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, I was hanging out with him one night, um, me and a friend of mine, um, Tom, and I'm not going to use Tom's last name. Um, But Kurt told us all about the many, many times that aliens have visited him. Uh, And at the time, I think he was living in Uptown in an apartment, and they come right into town and scoop him up and do things with him and then set him back down in, in his apartment there. And uh, to me, it just seemed like maybe too much blotter, Kurt, you you know? (laughs) Maybe this is the effects of a little too much, because it it just didn't seem real. Yeah. And then every Friday night on History Channel, um, there's the Alien Marathon, where you can watch shows about (laughs) aliens for six hours. Yeah. And... I love watching these shows. Half of it is um, absolutely absurd, but there's always something in every episode that makes you think, okay, now these guys are, these guys are fighter pilots, uh, or these guys are commercial pilots. These, there's mm-hmm. no reason why these people should lie. Um, and it really makes sense that there's, they're out there. Yeah. Well, and there's been some video lately that you have to at least think, is somewhat real, including from fighter pilots. Yeah. And then there was one about two months ago where a, a commercial pilot was flying, took video of, of two dots just flying underneath them, and it, it looked bizarre as hell. It looked like a movie with aliens is what it looked like. Right, and then the old line used to be, um, well, that's what, like, say, the government wants us to think because they're actually testing um, aircraft or testing this yep. or testing that. Yeah. Uh, and they're using the alien thing and then denying the alien thing as a pleasant diversion for the dum-dums. <laughs> uh, don't don't forget there are people like our, we both loved Bill Hicks, the comedian. Yes. Uh, and remember his line with a lot of expletives in it was, why they always landed in Pascagoula, Mississippi? Why don't they land in Times Square? <laughs> yeah, right, where all the people are. You, know? you got two hillbillies on a dock, and they land for them, but they don't. Uh... Okay, so you spent some time in church as a, as a youth, right? Were you, yeah, oh yeah, I grew up Catholic, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and me too, you know, I, and Ross, uh, were you raised in the church or not? Uh, so, so. So, <laughs> and, and my mom is a big fan of this, um, the, these alien shows, and she's she's devout. She's, you know, a, a Christian and believes in the church, and a lot of what's um, described in the Bible could be written off as alien visitors, people as you know, ascending, descending, um, and, and the different events in, in the Bible. And I asked my mom about this, fully expecting to, for her to say, "This is BS." You know, this is yeah. this is nonsense. Sure. And she goes, "It makes sense, doesn't it, Kenny?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, if you got my mom, I, I'm in now." And, and, and it's just, it's. I'm not saying it's true, and I certainly don't want to be 
smitten, or is, is it smote? Uh, I don't want to be hit by a bolt of lightning, um, but it, it sure makes uh, for interesting discussion. Well, sticking, sticking on the comedy theme, are you guys familiar, I'm going to guess John is, probably Kenny, uh, familiar with Tom DeLonge? Uh, sure. I know the name. Yeah. I've never yeah. seen his stuff. Okay, yeah. So former frontman of Blink-182. Now he's he's got his own Venture Angels and Airwaves. And he left Blink-182, and a while back, a lot of the scuttlebutt was when they left. It was for a couple reasons. He legitimately wanted to spend more time with his family, but he also wanted to chase aliens. Mm-hmm. And he's, and he's kind of done this for a decade plus. Well, during the height of the pandemic, you know, the government started releasing some of these reports that basically said, yeah, there's stuff out there and we don't know what it is. I couldn't find the exact tweet, but somebody tweeted and it and it, it, it went viral, which is why I'm really disappointed I couldn't find it. But their tweet was basically the pandemic and civil unrest is so messed up right now that Tom DeLong went and found aliens and nobody cares. <laughs> that's you know that's what the world needs you know what that's what putin needs is somebody to land uh at the kremlin and uh shake shake his bones a little bit listen pal here's what's going on what's what's jerry seinfeld's bid on this if the aliens exist they've seen us but then they basically they see us walking around with the poop bag and the dog, and then they just keep flying. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the anthill theory, Ross. Have you ever seen an anthill the size of a pup tent? I mean, big, big, big uh, anthills. Yes. We, we ha- yeah, we've got them everywhere out here. And if one crops up, you just you go, wow, that's fascinating, but uh, I, I've got lawn to mow here. And, and you leave it alone. <laughs> but then if you come out a week later and there's an anthill that's – 20 feet away from your house it's like okay time for you guys to go <laughs> too close <laughs> and, and, and i think we might be the uh, anthills of the alien world i don't know yeah they're probably just so amused by us they probably look at all of our problems and go why can't they figure this stuff out um yeah uh, uh but it was interesting talking to the doctors especially about the ego of scientists and yeah. and and the, and the like uh, it, that was a really, really interesting uh, interview. I might actually listen to it back again, which <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I've ever listened to a crabby news from the crabby coffee shop. Uh, speaking of which, let's uh, let's wrap it up here. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, and rest assured, Dawn will be back <laughs> next week for another Yay. episode of News from the Crabby Coffee Shop. Thanks for listening to news from the Krabby Coffee Shop. New episodes drop every week wherever you get your podcasts.